that portion of God's word by saying, and we are, and we are. Uh, that is true of us as God's people. I want to reiterate something that David said at the beginning, or our Elder uh, David Moore said at the very beginning of the service, and that is an encouragement for you within the congregation to be connected to a growth group or <clears throat> a Bible study or some type of mentoring spiritual relationship within the life of our church. Look, if there's anything we've learned over the past year, it's that COVID has caused us to be disconnected as a people. The strength of the covenant community is that we are a connected body, and it's through that connection that we grow. It's through that connection that we grow spiritually. And so if you only uh, come to church on Sunday, which we're grateful that you're being uh, that you're coming here and you're being fed by the community. But uh, let me encourage you to get connected in another way. Um, I, uh, personal testimony time. Um, there is nothing that grew me more as a believer than being in some sort of what we call growth group or Bible study or mentoring relationship. Yes, I came to church every Sunday and I benefited from the teaching that was coming from the pulpit. But man, when I started living life together with the people in my church and then helping in community and living out my faith, my spiritual life skyrocketed. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not connected in that way, um, please look to be connected. Now, there are some of you that said, Pastor Dennis, I'm an introvert or I'm busy. And look, I get it. This isn't like a law. I'm not laying down a law here. This is just an encouragement to you to be involved or get connected to the body because I know the spiritual benefit for that. Now, there are some of you, um, you need to step out of your shell, and you need to look for that way um, to be a part of our community. This is us stepping out toward you and saying, look, we want to enter into these relationships. We want to shepherd you. We want to love on you. And one of the ways in which we do that is through our uh, growth groups, it's through our Bible studies, and it's through our discipleship time together. And so please keep that in mind as we move forward. I would love to see um, full participation in our church. I know that's not going to be possible, but um, such is life, I guess. All right, if you will, please take your Bibles and turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now, those of you that have been with us from the very beginning of this year know that this entire year is about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. That's been our focus. And so we began the year by studying the book of James, and James talked so much about spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. Last, uh, last few weeks, we've been looking at the subject of the heart. If we want to grow spiritually as a body of believers, we have to grow in our love toward one another. That's critical, Paul's, uh, Paul's argument is. Um, you cannot grow spiritually if you don't know how to love one another. Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this matter of our thought life. Our thought life. The way in which we think. How we think. Right? There are so many of us that are plagued by our thoughts. And there's no better person to lead us through the journey of examining our thought life like the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you are looking for a Bible study... Or if you are looking either for a personal Bible study, if you're looking for a Bible study for your group, 
I would highly recommend you study the writing of Paul's. No one, no one talks more, no other biblical writer the Lord used more than Paul's to talk about our thought life. Paul's, Paul was, in fact, Paul was ahead of his time. You can tell I'm getting a little bit excited about this because I've just spent the last like two, three weeks talking, um, studying this. But, but if you read through Paul, Paul was definitely ahead of his time. In fact, Paul was one of the first writers that I can tell that talked about the mind, not seated necessarily in our brains, but just as a part of our, our entire being. So when Paul talks about renewing your mind, he's not talking about your physical brain. He's talking about that part of you that's immaterial. And he spends so much time talking about that. Not only does Paul talk about the mind, but he talks, he talks about the way we think. He talks about our conscience and how our thoughts play on our conscience. And Paul also talks about our logic, the way we reason and the things we say. It's a fascinating study, and I urge you, I urge you to dive into that. And for that reason, for that reason, because Paul talks so much about our thought life, we're going to use Paul, particularly in Philippians, to talk about our thought life. Now, I will say this. If you read through Paul, you'll understand why Paul talks so much about his thought life. Because Paul's life was plagued by mental health issues. You don't realize this until you actually pay attention to some of the things they say. Think about Paul's life for a moment. Imagine if you lived constantly under the threat of death. Imagine if you lived constantly being beaten and shipwrecked and depraved. Even within uh, the book of Philippians, he's writing from prison. And prison back in Paul's day was meant to break you down mentally. Paul was a man beset with all sorts of troubles and illnesses from the outside that pressed on his mental health. Not only that, but think about the inward turmoil that Paul uh, suffered with. Think about Romans 7, how Paul talks in depth about the fact that there are things that he really wants to do but can't do. Think about all the things that Paul talks about, how... Um, how there are certain sins that keep reoccurring in his life that he really wants to have the victory over, but is struggling and can't do it. This is the battle that's in Paul's mind. But even think about this. Imagine living knowing that in your prior life, you spent killing the very people that God has now sent you to minister to. Think of the deep emotional pain that Paul lived with his entire life. And you know what? Some of us, in fact, all of us, I would say, to one degree or another, lives with that same level of trauma and pain, that same level of brokenness in our thinking and in our mind. And it's because of that, it's because of that, I want us as a body to study Paul's writings on this and look at the freedom that Paul provides for us. And I'll just like tell you in advance, what, how was Paul able to overcome this? Look, look at the book of Philippians real quick. Notice verse number five. Paul says, have this mind among yourself, Philippians chapter two, verse number five. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How did Paul overcome his mental difficulties, his thought life? How did he overcome it? He overcame it in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's thought life 
was dominated by Christ. If you look at chapter 1 alone, look at all the references that Paul makes to Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, he said, that we should proclaim Christ, he said, that the full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, he says. Over and over again, Paul brings us back to Christ. And let me say this, there is nothing that destroys your mental health more than sin. But there's nothing else that delivers you more than Christ. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. And so with that, let's begin our time together briefly. And I'm going to try to be very succinct this, uh, this morning because, Paul, I just want to make one point from this passage. Now, I'm not going to cover verse 6 uh, through 11. We're going to leave that until next week um, as we look at the person and work of Christ, the hypostatic union as mentioned in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to leave that off until next week to make the argument for why we should have the Christian mind. But just for today, I want to analyze how we think. Or more importantly, who do we think like? So let's begin. Philippians chapter, we're going to begin at uh, chapter 1, verse 27, and then we're going to read down just to chapter 5. I know we have verse 1 through 11 printed in our bulletin, but we're going to take this grouping, and you'll see why that's important in a minute. All right, hear now the word of the Lord. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of our salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we have this time together as a group of believers where we can come and receive your word. And your word is meant to provide healing. Your word is meant to provide encouragement. Your word is meant to provide strength. But also, Lord, the singing and the fellowship and all of those things strengthen us as well. So we are very thankful as a people that we have gathered here today to hear from you and be nourished by you. Holy Spirit, please come now. Seal these truths to our hearts. Help us to live differently and 
think differently, and act differently. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if you look at this passage, I want you to focus on verse number 27. Because verse number 27 of chapter 1 sets the stage of what Paul is talking about here. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That phrase, that our manner of life, has the idea of way of life, or more particularly, way of thinking. And what is significant about that is, if you remember Christianity from the very beginning, from the very beginning, after, say, Pentecost, was known as the way. It was known as the way. And the reason why it was known as the way, many scholars believe, is based on the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so for Christians, if you are a believer, you are called to think and act in a particular way. And that way is to think and act like Jesus Christ thought and acted. It's a way of living and a way of thinking that should dominate our heart and mind. But Paul knows that even though Christians are supposed to follow the way, the way that Jesus uh, taught, the way that Jesus acted, that doesn't always happen. In fact, the very word that Paul used here to encourage the church at Philippi to live and act and think in a particular way it's a very nuanced word, and it actually has the idea of being a citizen. And what Paul is doing here is reminding them that these people, as they live their life, as they go about their life, there's a choice before them. And the choice before them is that either they're going to act as a citizen of this world, or they're going to act as a citizen of heaven. That's, that's literally what this word means. That, that Paul is calling them to act worthy of the gospel of Christ, Christ, calling them to act in connection with their faith as a believer. And the question before us is, are we going to follow that way? Is this a way that we are going to embrace as a people? And so for the rest of our time together, I want to look at these two ways. First of all, the way of thinking in which we are a citizen of this world, or a way of thinking in which we are the citizen of heaven. Because both of those, Paul says, are important. Now, with that said, let's just dive in. What form of thinking characterize the thinking of this world, as a citizen of this world? Well, Paul tells us in verse number three uh, of chapter two, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit. The way of thinking of this world is characterized by selfishness and conceit. The way of thinking of this world is dominated by that. Now, Paul said that for two reasons. Number one, those words were certainly true of the church at Philippi. They were a Roman colony, and they were proud of it. In fact, they were proud of their citizenship as Romans. And so they thought and acted and conducted their lives like Roman citizens. In fact, Paul later in chapter 3 talks about that. It let your citizenship be that in heaven. Why would Paul say that constantly? Because the church at Philippi gloried in the fact that they were citizens of Rome. 
And as citizens of Rome, if you wanted to be successful, if you wanted to grow, if you wanted to be a good citizen, these things, selfish ambition or conceit, were seen as virtues. If you wanted to climb the ladder of success, you had to be selfish. You had to be filled with conceit. And so Paul says, no, if you are selfish, in other words, if you only think about yourself, if you live your life only to please yourself, if you live your life in such a way where you are the center of this universe, Paul says that that way of thinking is consistent with being a citizen of this world. But not only that, he mentions conceit. In other words, if you go about your life scheming and working to be the center of the world, Paul says that you are thinking like a citizen of this world. You're not thinking like the citizen of heaven. But here Paul goes even deeper than that. Look at the word selfish ambition or conceit. The words that are used here are meant to point us back to the garden. Now, if you remember Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve thought the thoughts of God, did they not? Think about Adam and Eve. God gave them a way of thinking that was consistent with his will, that was consistent in human flourishing. He told them that, look, you two are to live and protect and uh, protect the garden and live in the garden and live in peace and harmony with one another. That was their existence. But then one day a serpent came. And if you remember, the serpent came and introduced a way of thinking that was completely foreign to God. And that way of thinking was based on selfish deceit and ambition. Because he looked at them and he said, you all know that you can be like God. You all know that if you eat this fruit, if you partake of this fruit, you will be like God. And what happened? Well, what happened is they did take the fruit, they did eat of it, and it completely changed the way that they thought. And the Bible says that as a result of them eating that fruit, as a result of them taking that fruit, how did they begin to think? They began to blame one another. They acted in shame. They acted in guilt. They acted in fear. They acted in anxiety. Immediately after they were, their minds were poisoned by the serpent to think a way antithetical to the way that God had told them to think, they, their thoughts immediately became corrupt. In fact, theologians call this the noetic effect of sin. In other words, the impact that sin has on your mind. Al Mohler, a theologian by the name of Al Mohler, said this, that all of us in this room, the moment we were born, were born with a mind that is corrupt by sin. Do you ever wonder why you forget as much as you do? Do you ever wonder why you're constantly feeling less than? Do you ever wonder why you're plagued with insecurities? You ever wonder why you're plagued with frustration, anxiety, fear? Do you ever wonder why you can't think the best of others? Do you ever wonder why students, you can't seem to always make an A? It's because of the noetic effect of sin. It's because at the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their minds became corrupt 
and plagued by sin to the point that they couldn't think straight. They couldn't act in a godly, wise way. In fact, after the fall, here's what the Bible tells us of our thought life. The Bible says that our thoughts of man, in Genesis 6-5, that the thoughts of man are only evil continually. In other words, we constantly think of evil and sinful things. That's our nature. That's a part of our nature. But the Bible says something else in Proverbs 23-7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now pause for a moment and think about that. Look, I don't have access to your, heart, to your mind. I don't. I wish I did right? That'll help me to pastor a little bit better, but it's also might be a scary place, right? But if you think about your mind and how you think, the Bible says you have access to your thoughts, so think about this for a moment. Think about the way you think. The Bible says that that way right now that you're thinking is what ultimately defines who you are. I am so thankful to God that he doesn't allow me to say or do half of what I think. I'm serious. Because I'm telling you, we think some awful thoughts, especially when we're driving in the car. I don't know why. There's something about driving in the car, especially on Chattanooga roads. I mean, it's just, you know, people cut you off. You know, people look at you funny. And you're just like, your thoughts just go all over the place. But the Bible says that, look, our thoughts are constantly poisoned. Every thought that we have, it's rarely the case that you and I have thoughts that are pure and right, and holy. And worse than that, the Bible tells us that these thoughts begin to define who we are. The more we think in this way, the more we act in this way, it, it sort of defines who we are. But the Bible is saying something else here that's so important. It's not only the fact that we think in this manner, but the Bible also says that we begin to think like the people that influence us. And if you were to ask me what's the most important reality that I want to share with you today, it's that. You think like the people that influence you, especially the people in your society. Paul Johnson wrote a book many years ago called Intellectuals. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it, especially if you're a college or high school student. The book is called Intellectuals by Paul Johnson. And what Paul Johnson did that I, that I thought was so brilliant was he looked at all of the people in the world who influenced 20th century thinking. So he looked particularly at Marx, Hemingway, Rousseau, and Sartre. And he didn't look at Sigmund Freud, but Sigmund Freud could be thrown into this. And here's what Paul Johnson did. Paul Johnson said, these people are the people that influence our society and the way we think. And then Paul Johnson says, if the, look at the lives of these people. Look at what happens when you take their thinking to its logical conclusion. And what you find are people who were disturbed, who were wicked, who were sinful, who used drugs, who molested children. You can go down and down the line. And he said, are those the people that you want influencing your thinking? Are they? It was, it's completely devastating what Paul Johnson did because Paul Johnson said so often we listen to people uncritically. And you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, how do I know I'm thinking like these people? Well, here, here it is. If you think that truth is relative, you're thinking like those people. 
like Sigmund Freud, like Rousseau, like Marx, like Hemingway. If you think that no one has the right to tell you how to live and what to do, you're being influenced by the thinking of this world. That's what Paul Johnson says. He says this too. If you believe that religion or religious teaching should be changed to suit our culture or cast aside to suit our culture, he says you are thinking and being influenced by these men. And it's a very powerful critique. And let me say this to all of us here. Be careful who you allow to influence your thinking. Look, I, let me start meddling for a little bit, right? If you get the majority of your thinking from social media, if you get the majority of your thinking from people you've never met or you don't know their personal life, be very careful. You see, one of the things about the Bible that's incredible, and one of the things that Paul is driving us to is this, that our thinking should never be disconnected from our relationship with Christ. And so much of our thinking, what we listen to in podcasts, what we watch on television, what we get from social media, all of that thinking is disconnected from the person. Think about the people that have influenced your thinking in life. Do you have a relationship with them? Do you know what they do? This is why mentoring is so important. This is why being in a church community is so important because it allows us or gives us the ability to interact with truth, with the lives of the people that we're involved with. And Paul is saying here that this selfish ambition or conceit, this is a mindset that is seeped into our thinking and our way of life because you and I, as God's people, listen to all the wrong voices. We listen to the voices of this world. And I think Johnson's critique is so powerful because especially for our young people, you have to be so careful of who you allow to dominate your thinking. Whether it's in music, whether it's in television, whether it's in social media, don't just take in information uncritically. Put it through the lens of scripture. And that's not just true of young people, that's true of us. I mean, my goodness, we've seen it in action this past political cycle. How people uncritically took in information and didn't hold it up to the lordship of Christ. How people just listen to things in our society and not ask ourselves the question, who is this thinking from? And how is this influencing me? Is this causing me to love people more? Is this causing me to serve people more? Is this causing me to be more humble? That's the way we ought to be thinking. And so right now, as you begin to process things, as you begin to, to uh, think about, about life in general, think about where these thoughts are coming from and put them under the lordship of Christ. Because Paul says, in this life, we can think like citizens of this world, selfish or conceited. Now, what's the opposite of this thought life? Well, this opposite of this thought life, again, is found in verse number three, chapter two and verse number three. Paul says this, that the thought life that most describes a Christian is that of humility. That of humility. Theologian Jonathan Edwards says, we must view humility as one of the most essential things that categorizes true Christianity. It categorizes true Christianity. You want to know how Christians are supposed to think? You want to know what is the kernel of Christian thought? Think humility. Think humility. In fact, at the very beginning, notice what Paul says in chapter 2. 
He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of one mind. Right? So he's calling them to this one-mindedness. Now, what, what, when he talks about it being one mind, what is he talking about? What kind of mind is this? Well, he tells us in verse number three, it's a mind of humility. Now, what is humility? Right? What is humility? I, uh, I, in my study, I looked up the Greek word, and I was like, man, wonder, wonder what's behind this. You know, like, wonder if this is connected to something else. And I looked up the word for humility in Greek, and you know what it says? It means to be humble. <laughs> I thought to myself, that's it? That doesn't tell me anything. Of course I know humility means to be humble. Isn't there anything else you could give me here? And the answer is no, right? But one of the things I love that Paul does in this passage is he tells us what humility looks like. In verse number three, humility looks like counting others more significant than ourselves. And then in verse number four, it says, let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. That's what true humility looks like. I want to end our time today by, by, by us just going through five practical ways to do this. And this is not unique to me. This is from Matthew Henry. And, and I just thought these were so wonderful. So if you look at verse number three and verse number four, how do we practice humility, this humble mindset, this kingdom mindset, to, to count others more significant than ourselves, to look not on our own interests, but also on the interests of others. Here's what Matthew Henry said. He said, first and foremost, Matthew Henry says, learn to be hard on your own faults and gracious towards the fault of others. That's one way we can practice the mindset of humility. By, by, by being hard on our own faults, but being gracious towards the faults of others. Isn't it true that we often reverse this? Isn't it true that we're often harder on the faults of others and lighter on the faults of ourselves? That's our tendency, right? But that's not what it means to think like a Christian, to think of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Here's the second thing that Matthew Henry says, and it's similar but slightly different. Be quick to see your own flaws, but be ready to overlook and make favorable allowances for the flaws of others. So here's what Henry's saying. He's saying, look, if you want to deal with, if you, if you want to be the kind of person that has the humble mindset, that looks at others more significant, that looks at the interests of others, you have to start by being quick to see your own faults and dealing with them, but quickly overlooking the flaws of others. That's critical. Now, let me talk to parents for a little bit. That's true of us. You know, as a parent, one of the things I am gifted at is seeing the flaws of my children, right? I'm so gifted at it. But you know what I don't see? I don't see my flaw of always seeing the flaw in my children. See what I did there? Huh? Um, I don't see that. But that's true. That's true. We're so quick to see the flaws of others, but give ourselves a pass. The third thing he said, and I think this is so critical. He said, we must esteem the good which is in others above that which is in ourselves. Don't miss what Hen uh, Matthew Henry is saying here. He's saying that, look, when we see the good in others, let's esteem that. Let's celebrate that, right? Don't compare ourselves to one another. 
In fact, do you realize comparison is a theft of joy? If you want to be miserable and unhappy in this world, begin comparing yourself to other people. It'll steal your joy. Don't do that, Henry says. Instead, he says that we should celebrate. Celebrate what we see in others. Celebrate the success of others. Be happy for one another. Something else that, that Henry says that I think is important. He says, we must interest ourselves in the concern of others, not in a way of curiosity or in busybodies in other man's matters, but in the Christian love and sympathy. And what he's saying is this. When you go to help someone, are you just doing it because you're curious? Are you doing it because you want to be a busybody? Or do you, are you doing it out of love? Are you doing it out of love? Do you have a genuine concern about others? And the last one, we covered this a little bit, but again, I think he's very nuanced here. He says this, rejoice in the prosperity of others as truly as in our own. You know, that's so hard to do. That's so hard to do. How do we begin to rejoice in what others are doing and having that mindset, that kingdom mindset, that mindset of humility where we rejoice in the prosperity of others? Now, you know, I would not leave you without a big takeaway, right? I wouldn't do that to you. Because some of you, you know, you're like, Pastor, I've been zoning in and out. So here's the big takeaway, right? Here's the big takeaway. The big takeaway is this. When we think in the manner of this world, as a citizen of this world, we think in a selfish ambition and conceit. And that leads us to all sorts of sinful thinking. But when we think like the child of Christ, when we think like a citizen of heaven, we think in a way that's humble, that evidence humility, that evidence love for one another. Jesus said this, and I'll end with this. Jesus said this, the thief comes but to kill and to steal and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. If I could retool that a little bit, let me say it like this. The thief, the devil comes, and he destroys our thinking. He kills it. He steals it away. He destroys it. He destroys it by, by us comparing ourselves to one another. He destroys it by our insecurities. He destroys it by the fact that we never find joy in what we think and say. But Jesus came that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. So here's what I want you to do. The next time you think of a thought, ask yourself the question, who am I thinking like? Am I thinking like a citizen of this world? Are these thoughts from God? And the next time, ask yourself the question along with that, or am I thinking like a citizen of heaven? Do these thoughts build me up? Do they bring life? Because that's what Paul is saying here. Do they bring life? And if they do not bring life, put it under the lordship of Christ. Go to the Lord and say, God, this way of thinking is poisonous. It will destroy me. It will destroy others. Instead, help me to think thoughts that bring life to me and life to others. Now let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, truly we thank you. We as a people are plagued with sinful thoughts. They dominate our thinking. It's the thought of this world. They cause us to think improperly. They cause us to think sinfully. And yet, Lord, you, as, as your people, you have called us to think in a manner worthy of you. And so I pray that. I, I pray that for all of us, that as we study 
over the next four weeks are thinking. Help us to be diligent to think like the kingdom of heaven. Help us to think in that glorious way that Christ has called us to think, one of humility and reverence toward others. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.